Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. My name is Tyler Sheff, and I'm your host if this is your first time here. And this week, we're going to jump right in again, and we're going to talk about how to avoid real estate malpractice. And I know some of you are probably thinking, man, that's harsh. Real estate malpractice. I hope I'm not doing that. Well, I got news for you. Some of you might be and not even be realizing it. And this week, I'm going to cover some of the top things that people do, sometimes not even consciously, that really constitutes real estate malpractice. And well, let's go ahead and get started. First of all, I'm a big believer that if you're the type of person that's that's deal-centric, focused on getting to the closing table, if that's really all you care about, if you're a wholesaler maybe and you're just looking to get that check or you're a realtor and you're looking to, you just can't wait to that commission, well, that's going to create problems for you in business. It's going to keep you from growing. But if you're truly a problem solver, and more importantly, if people can identify the fact that you're a problem solver, if they understand that you are focused on solutions, you're focused on helping people in whatever capacity, use the real estate they own to solve whatever other issues they may have going on in life. Well, you're going to accomplish big things. Buyers on the buyer side of things and the seller side of things is we've got preconceived notions. Everybody does it. I've done it in the past. It's not the end of the world, but I think that if we spend time talking about what it means and what it looks like, we can prevent ourselves from doing it and we're going to be far more successful. So let's start with the probably the most prevalent one, the one that comes up the most often that is, in my opinion, just egregious to, to, to do. And this comes from a, a system of beliefs that just simply are not accurate. And that is believing that the seller won't accept payments for their equity. What do I mean by that? Well, I talk to probably nine out of 10 people I talk to when I mention payments for equity or seller financing, if a lot of folks call it, they're like, ah, nobody really does that anymore. That's something from the 1970s. There's no way somebody would take payments for their equity. Well, I got news for you. Wrong. There are tons of people that if presented the opportunity appropriately in such a way that it benefited them would seriously consider and probably give two thumbs up to accepting payments for their equity. How do I know this? Well, because I, for one, am a practitioner of this. I've learned from several people, Larry Harbolt being probably the most popular one that goes deep in depth and covers the different strategies behind seller financing, putting deals together. I went out, I've practiced exactly what he, t- what he teaches, and I'm here to tell you it works. And it's not, it doesn't take trickery or fancy words or language. You don't have to deceive, lie, cheat, and steal, none of that. Instead, you listen to the seller. You ask very pointed questions. And what you'll find is that people don't necessarily want the cash, okay? This is what Larry teaches, and I believe is 100%. They don't necessarily want the cash as much as they want what the cash will do for them. Think of it this way. If I said to you, I'm going to send you your stimulus check, but you can't cash it. Well, what do you mean, Tyler? I can't cash it. Well, it's we gave you the check, but you're not allowed to spend it. You, you can't cash it. You have to put it on the wall, frame it, put it on the wall next to a picture of uh, Mr. Biden, and off you go. Would you really care about the stimulus check anymore? Would it matter to you? Well, no, it's just a piece of paper. Maybe it's multicolored and, and pretty because it's from the treasury. And it's just sitting there on the wall. But there's my stimulus check that I got in 2021 on I special. Well, that's not as important as what's behind it when you cash it. More importantly, what you can do with the capital that comes out of that. So the $1,400 is going to buy or pay for something. That's what gets people all excited. That's what has people chomping at the bit. That's what's making everybody run out and buy Bitcoin or whatever they're going to do with it. Big screen TVs. That's the the thing that attracts people to the money. It's not the money. I can tell you that. Because if I told you you couldn't spend the money, then you wouldn't give a damn about the money. If you study any of the economists that are out there today, uh, 
such as uh, Peter Schiff or or Jim Rickards or anything like that, they talk about the the dollar devaluing, which means the dollar becomes worth less and less. It'll buy less and less every day. One dollar doesn't buy as much today or tomorrow as it did today. We we're every time they print money where they're basically reducing the value of the dollar, what it will buy. So what do I mean by that? Well, a bottle of water is a dollar today, but in a year it'll be a dollar six or a dollar twenty or whatever, because the value of the dollar has diminished every time they put more money. They just print money and it has no backing. It's not backed by gold or backed by anything. It's just paper is really what it is. When they infuse more of that paper into the system, well, everything, the money doesn't buy as much as it did the day before that happens. And we just did $3 trillion, $1.9 trillion. Trump did several trillion dollars. They've been printing money for decades. And every time they do that, they drive another nail into the financial coffin of the U.S. Well, to a seller, a smart seller especially, they realize that. And they would rather have their money grow than to sit there and erode. And what do I mean by that? Larry uses a great example of a kitchen table and a pile of money. He says, hey, Mr. Seller, if I give you your $100,000 in cash and I set it on a kitchen table, can I come back next year and visit it? And when I, And if I can... Will it all be there? And the sellers will usually chuckle and say, well, you can come back and visit whatever's left, but it won't be all there. Why not, Mr. Seller? Well, because I plan on spending it. What are you going to spend it on? And how you ask that question, boys and girls, is is going to dictate how they react. Some people, if you sound like uh, Inspector, you know, like like Perry Mason, well, they're probably going to get freaked out and think you're being too invasive and they're not going to answer the question. But if you warm up to it, you say it with a smile on your face, you truly or a genuine look of you really want to know and that type of thing interests you, then you'll probably get a legit answer. And that answer is going to tell you exactly what the seller is going to do with the cash. That's a clue for you. If you can provide that same thing and not necessarily the cash, well, home run. So how's that work? Let's use an example. Let's say you got the $100,000 house. I love that example. Easy math, right? Guy's got an $80,000 mortgage on his house. He's got $20,000 in equity left over. What is his plan? Well, he really needs a boat because he wants to take his wife out on the boat on Sundays and have her show off her bikini and her fake boobs that they bought with the, with the stimulus check. So that said, he's dying to get a boat. And when he sells the house, he's going to use the proceeds to buy himself a uh, fancy boat. Well, it won't be too fancy at 20 grand, but regardless, he needs, he needs a boat. So if you go to him and say, Hey, Mr. Mr. Jones, I'm going to go. I've got great credit. I'm going to go to the dealership, buy you a boat. I'm going to finance it and I'll hand you the keys to the boat and the title to the boat. And off you go and I'll make the payments for you. There are a seller that really wants a boat would look seriously at that proposal. That is, and it's in, in essence, indirectly taking payments for equity because what you're doing is you're going out and sourcing what he really wants and trading it for the deed to his house or his equity, in other words. And that is a solid way to put deals together. Very creative. It's actually a lot easier. This is sad to say, but it's a lot easier to buy a boat in today's economy than it is to buy a house for most people. They'll give boat or finance a boat to damn near anybody that can fog a mirror. If you've got a J-O-B, well, they got a job, they got a boat for you. I'm here to tell you. So don't kid yourself into thinking that the sellers always want payments or only always want cash for their house, their house, that they, they need their money yesterday. There are plenty of sellers that if properly presented with payments for equity in such a way that it makes sense to them, not begging them to finance you, that will seriously consider and probably accept payments for equity. But those of you that sit there and jump up and down and say, nobody will take that, or I've pitched it 20 times. The reason why you're getting no's is because, number one, you're not focused on solving the seller's problem. You're just broken, have terrible credit, and that you think that they're going to give you payments 
because they like you. I just sold my Wave Runner last week. And during that time, I had tons of buyers reaching out to me uh, down here in, in South Florida and the Florida Keys. And I actually had a few people with it. We take payments. Now, my mindset is for a jet ski that does 70 miles an hour on water, I'm not going to finance some 20-year-old something or other on a depreciating asset because that dude's going to hit a, a channel marker or a palm tree or something and tear up the ski. He's going to get bored and stop making payments, and I got to chase after him. All I have the ability to do with, with him in this case would be to put a lien on the ski. Guy doesn't own any property. He doesn't really have any cash in the game. Hell no, I'm not going to take payments for my equity in that case. Because all it's all only to help him. There's no benefit to Tyler. But if I've got somebody who's responsible, got their act together, and is willing to put up additional collateral, and they only need me to maybe fund 50% of it, and they're willing to give me the difference down so that I could go repo it later and sell it again and keep the down payment, well, now we're talking a different game. So I would probably consider that. So just keep that in mind. I'm not going to belabor the point. The second most common reason, I believe, that w- w- that we commit real estate malpractice is believing that the seller is focused on price. And this is a tough one, guys, because there's a lot of times that you'll be misled to think that's the case. And it's not necessarily your fault. Please don't think that it is because there are sellers. That's all they talk about is price. Well, that's because nobody's really talked to them about anything else. And if nobody's ever asked them why, what are they doing? How can they be helped? Then that's all they have to go on. And they believe that a certain price is going to solve their problem. But that's not necessarily the case. What do I mean by that? Well, I believe that I have to get $200,000 for my house so that I can buy my next McMansion. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with the value of this house. The house that you currently own does not tie into the next house. It just doesn't work that way. This house, the one you're trying to sell now, Mr. Seller, has its own intrinsic value. And we're going to have to get an appraisal probably to really determine what that is. And and at the end of the day, Mr. Seller, the property is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it and how they're going to use it. And as an investor, I'm going to rent the property. So I can't compete with Tom and Susie Homemaker. But at the same time, I may not necessarily need an appraisal. And I guarantee you, Tom and Susie Homemaker will need an appraisal because they're going to a bank. And banks, well, they're skeptical. And those banks, mm, they're going to want to make sure the value of that house is matches the true value, the appraised value of the house matches any agreement that you have made with Tom and Susie Homemaker. Well, for me, I don't care because I'm a landlord and my focus is that at the end of the day, when all the bills are paid, I need to be able to make a certain amount of money at the end of the month in profit for my time and for putting some cash of infusing some cash into this and uh, taking on the additional risk. So for me, it's completely different. The value is completely different. Here's the good news, Mr. Seller. If you would consider taking payments for your equity, most likely I can give you a significantly higher price than than Tom and Susie Homemaker could ever think of. And we wouldn't have to get an appraisal because I wouldn't need one. Does that make sense, Mr. Seller? And here to tell you guys and girls, for a lot of folks, that makes a lot of sense. The third one is believing that the seller won't accept your offer before you even present it. I can't begin to tell you how many people sit there and try to guess. I'm going to call it Friday afternoon quarterbacking because Monday morning quarterbacking would obviously be after the game. But before the game, you're pre-gaming going, oh, gee willikers, they're not going to accept my offer. And what moron would accept payments? I wouldn't accept payments. There's no way. I want all my money now up front on day one. Hell, I'm not even waiting till closing. I want a suitcase full of Benjamins unmarked bills. I want to deposit a Swiss bank account that I don't even have yet. I'm not giving nobody payments. So if that becomes your belief system, you're not going to be comfortable pitching something that you yourself don't believe in. So that means you got to get on board with being a believer. Just because you personally wouldn't do something or your situation rather 
dictates that it's just not feasible for you to accept payments for equity doesn't have any bearing on what a complete stranger would do. I mean, it just doesn't matter. So forget about what you would do or what you think is right or wrong or indifferent. It doesn't matter. If I want to buy a guy's house and he wants the money to go, I don't know, dye his hair blue and drive around a pink Cadillac, I could care less. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to judge you like a pink Cadillac. Dude, knock yourself out. We get you two pink Cadillacs. Doesn't matter to me one bit. What matters to me is somebody's going to pay me rent to live in that place. And that's what really matters to me. The third thing is that the pushing a solution to a problem that only helps you and not the seller. Actually, I should say that's probably the fourth thing. Pushing a solution to the problem that only helps you and not the seller. Wholesalers, realtors, y'all are bad at this. I got to tell you. Wholesalers, what do I mean? You guys are so focused on getting that assignment fee. You'll do anything. You'll say anything half the time to get them uh, to sign the contract. And then you guys go misrepresent what the after repair value is, or frankly, you don't know and you just guess and you say it doesn't need repairs, but it's a train wreck and smells like a dead cat. All these different things go on because all you care about is your assignment fee. And that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the seller. Doesn't certainly doesn't help the buyer. Everybody gets screwed and you get a payday that doesn't work that way. Realtors, same for you. Realtors, you automatically assume that just because it smells like cat piss that nobody wants it. Well, I got news for you. If the seller needs top dollar for his house, you have a fiduciary responsibility to get it for them. That means you need to market it just like you'd market any other house. Here's a great example. I had a bunch of people tell me that I was crazy for doing paid ads and high-level marketing for a recent couple hundred thousand dollar listing I sold in Tampa. Geez, Tyler, you don't have to spend money, your your precious dollars in commission uh, marketing that seller's house because hell, it'll sell anyway. Well, of course it will sell. I realize it'll sell, guys, but I want the seller to get top dollar because the seller deserves top dollar for that house. That's what the seller needs. The only reason she's willing to sell it is because the market is hot and therefore she is entitled to top dollar. I'm my job uh, to my promise to her is to help her get there. So guess what? We got there. We got way over top dollar. It's a win-win for everybody. Buyer got uh, what they wanted. Seller got what they wanted. Tyler got what he wanted. Buyer's agent got paid well. Everybody wins. So in that case, it, that, that deal, structuring that deal helped everybody. Okay. Lastly, making assumptions of any kind about the seller's situation or what they believe without first asking them very specific questions. This kind of goes back to the one I talked about uh, two steps ago, which saying they won't accept the offer because of this. That's not true. Don't assume the seller's belief systems. Okay. This would be the same as assuming somebody is a racist because, I don't know, they're conservative. That's ridiculous. Or thinking that somebody's a complete moron because they're liberal. I've got friends that are liberal. They're not morons. I've got friends that are conservative that are that are not racist. I mean, that's making assumptions, especially in today's culture, is dangerous. So don't get sucked into it. Instead, ask pointed questions. Really find out what the seller's intentions are. What do they need? What makes them tick? What are they going to do with the money? These are all valid questions, guys and girls. And the get, asking these questions sends a subliminal message to the seller that you care, that you're focused, that you're solution-centric, that you're willing to find solutions to their problems to help them and not just club them over the head like a baby seal and take the deed to their house and then flip it to some other schmoo. Guys, your beliefs are never going to be identical to the seller's beliefs and needs, okay? Never, ever, ever. So we got to get on board with asking questions and not making assumptions. And a good example of this, boys and girls, is if you're married or you got a significant other and you try to read their mind. I've tried to read my Jill's mind on several occasions. And guess what? Every damn time I do, I'm wrong. Jill tries to read my mind on a regular basis. And every time she does it, she's absolutely wrong. So that proves to me that humans cannot read each other's minds. Now, 
Had I asked Jill a question over what she was thinking or how she was feeling about something, she would have given me an honest answer because that's who she is. But I don't ask sometimes. I just assume, and guess what? I look like a ding-dong because I assumed the answer to the question that I never bothered to ask. That, ladies and gentlemen, is irresponsible. So now that we know that, the cat's out of the bag, the elephant's in the room. Let's just do away with that and let's ask those pointed questions. Guys and girls, I hope you find value in what I'm talking about here. I hope that you're going to get in front of sellers, get on a Zoom call, talk to these people, ask good questions. What questions should you ask? Think about it, guys. It's not hard. Be inquisitive, but do it in such a way that you're consultative. Mr. Jones, what made you sell such a beautiful house, as Pete Fortunato teaches us to say, right? Why would you sell such a beautiful home? Why would you sell such a profitable apartment building? Well, because I'm looking for some idiot to pay top dollar for this thing so that I can go sit on the beach and twiddle my toes in the sand sitting on a stack of $100 bills. Okay, there's an answer. So if that's the case, well, guess what? This isn't the house for Uncle Tyler. We're going to go find something else to play with. And guys, I can tell you, I'm looking for opportunities down in Key West. And there's a lot of that going on right now. There's a lot of folks that have a lot of money and a lot of equity in real estate down in Key West that are looking for top dollar. They're testing the money. I'm not going to hurt testing the market. I'm not going to fault them for that. They're absolutely entitled to it. It's just that I'm not going to buy it because of that unless I could see an upside. And I'm working on opportunities right now that I've absolutely found some upside. How did I do that? Well, I'm talking to sellers and in some cases, the representatives or their agents to discover the answers to the questions, to discover their motivation for selling, which I can then turn to my investors, my financial friends, and help them make top dollar. Speaking of which, if you've ever considered investing in luxury real estate in the Florida Keys and Key West proper, we're talking about pretty big upsides when we sell these things. We're going to buy them. We're not going to do a whole lot of work to them because we're just going to turn around and market them properly and we're going to make some nice upsides. If that's something that excites you and you want to participate in that, well, then you need to get on the phone with me, get on my calendar. Let's talk about some of the stuff that we're thinking about doing down here. shouldn't say thinking that we are going to be doing down here. As a matter of fact, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to look at a couple of properties in Key West proper, uh, properties that are not on the market that are off market where we're going to basically just do a paper transaction and we're going to make some money. Uh, we're going to be bringing along some people with us for the ride. So if you've got capital to invest, if you got money sitting in IRA, you have a 401k sitting there doing nothing, you changed jobs recently. Hell, I don't care if you lost your job and you have money sitting in the retirement account. Let's get that money moving. It doesn't matter where it comes from. What matters is, is that we're going to help you grow it. The way to do that is you go to cashflowguys.com. You hit the book Tyler link or ask Tyler link. That gives you a link to my calendar. You pick a time that makes sense for you and put your information, get on my calendar. We'll talk about it, see how we can help you and see if we can get some sort of mutually beneficial relationship. Guys, I'm going to leave it there. I hope you have a great week and I'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.